this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 60th episode of the Practice Learning Teams podcast show. The Brazilian community is doing some amazing activities in the New View space with community holders like uh, Hugo Ribeiro. Over the next three months, I want to share with you some more local stories about what is happening in that community. On today's show, I conclude the conversation with Rafael Santos, who is based in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Rafael is diligently implementing hop and learning teams in his organization. His focus on people development and using hop and learning teams to drive continued improvement is a great story to hear. Please sit back and enjoy as we conclude the conversation with Rafael Santos. And we are also not very good at removing things, are we? <laughs> As safety professionals. No. Just what, because to put more things on it. Because we don't more know control, why. More control, the better, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I, I would argue we don't know why we put it in. Because it's always been there. It's always been there, yeah. It's always been there. <laughs> and it must be working. And I think that's that difference um, about using a learning team to understand the value of something. So, so people talk about compliance. Workers don't like to follow, you know, things that are compliance-based. I, I, I would say to you, workers don't understand the value of that and what they do. So if we can explore to them what's its purposes, how it supports them, what it's designed to do for them, then then they'll start to see it because, because they don't even know it's present half the time. So, so it's not as though they don't they don't care about it. It's just they don't know its presence, and, and it's no different. If, if, you know, if I think about say you know machinery safety is a good example. If I have a gate with an interlock, and that interlock when the gate's open takes the energy away from the machine, so I can clear a jam. Do we need to explain the worker all the mechanics of how the interlock functions, or does the worker want the assurance to know? that the danger zone has been removed when they need to clear a jam by opening the gate. Yeah. That's all. That's all. Yeah. So, and that's where a learning team becomes quite powerful. Um, Whereas a lot of companies are still relying on, you know, I see it all the time, you know, lockout, tagout systems. Yeah. Oh, I've done done my share of that. (laughs) Yeah. Make the person do eight different things, you know, takes five minutes to clear a jam but it takes 20 minutes to do the lockout tag out yeah what are you going to do are you do the 20 minutes lockout tag out or are you going to go and clear the jam remembering that every time you've cleared the jam without doing lockout tag out nothing's ever gone wrong yet so you, why, would you it, might why actually, would it go wrong today why would it go wrong today yeah. you might even get praised because you're, you're doing a good job and you're getting production out and you're yeah you're getting a good throughput. I, I saw a, I saw a, um, a, a, a T-shirt recently, which didn't have the word safety science on it. It had the word safety seance. So, so basically, people are having to, um, people are having to conduct a seance to, to, to think about the future. They're trying to predict the future of something by holding a seance. Um, 
and, I, and I sometimes wonder with leaders that they think that workers can see into the future. That the worker can tell from the action that they took what the future is going to be. It's really easy for us, right? Because we have the power of, of hindsight. If we can just look back. Yeah. We already know what's going to happen. Well, of, of course, because we know there is a hazard present. We know there are. But if I go back to it, the controls we put in place did not remove the uncertainty for the worker. Therefore, whatever that risk was left over, we then felt it's okay because we believe that worker can do that 100% of the time and be 100% reliable. We just we just forget human nature, right? Yeah, and if we go back to that classic Todd, you know, um, you know, failure is normal. Error is normal. <laughs> normal. Yeah, and um, I wonder if we should write create a new T-shirt to say embrace <laughs> embrace failure. Embrace failure. <laughs> failure is normal. Embrace yeah. it. And I would, I would put on the back shirt, on the on the back side of that shirt, and blame blame fixes nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, because um, I, I would argue, um, the worker has already blamed themselves. Yeah. Do they need other people to blame them as well? Because it's it's human nature. When you make a mistake, you you blame yourself. Blame yourself. And and, and then. And then there's a little voice in your head that says you can learn from it. Well, um, where do leaders use those two voices? So if a leader is going to use a voice to blame you, where's the voice from the leader then going to say, but we're going to learn from this? I, I, I don't, I seldom ever hear the learning bit. I only, have, I only hear the blaming bit. And, and even, even the process, um, uh, even the word investigate, even the word investigate to me means blame. Yeah, it, 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 in the end it does, doesn't it? Uh, we, we, it takes a long time for us to get to, you know, the professional part of our lives and uh, learn and investigate might be, you know, just really investigating, trying to find out why things went wrong. We're, we spend a lot of time uh, just hearing about investigations in movies and police movies and police mm -hmm. stories that in the end get someone a plane to get someone on a prison or on a raft let's say this this you know, yeah, the yeah. Marvel universe. And, 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 uh, and the criminal justice system is based on that so criminal justice system says there's a victim and there's a perpetrator yeah. and you hold the perpetrator to account that's that's the job of the criminal system but when you're investigating, does that mean you're then putting on that tin star on your chest and saying, my job? Yeah, or, or, or the black cloak. Yeah, yeah absolutely. the black cloak and the hammer. Yeah, correct. Um, whereas I've always argued that an event is a failure of our risk management. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So the system failed. Our risk management and and I and I always say that it happened for one of four reasons, which is can be quite interesting sometimes. Yeah. One is we hadn't identified the hazard. Two is that uh, the control wasn't present. 
three is the control wasn't adequate, or four, the event exceeded the design limits of the control. Yeah. That's it. It sort of comes back to, yeah, that's it. That, that's it. And, and I say to people, which of those things was it? And, and do you know how often they ever tell me that it was a new hazard? Zero. Oh. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what do we want? Yeah. What do we want workers to tell us about? <laughs> you drove me back uh, quite a, uh, a couple of years, uh, actually, no more than that. So with Urban, he was remember that mentor of mine. It's one of the things I was always frustrated that um, every every time a, a manufacturing site got audited, it got a major uh, uh, let's say a, a major finding in risk assessment. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're all. We are all very bad at doing risk assessments. That's okay. Right. So it doesn't surprise that every instant investigation uh, finds out that the risk assessment was poor. And I'm like, okay, risk assessment has all of these uh, parts. What is going on? So Urban came up with this uh, system that was really good. I liked it uh, up to this day. It sort of drives back to what you were saying. Uh, so what uh, part of your risk assessment failed? So did you identify the hazards? Uh, did you uh, uh, selected correct controls did the controls work as intended so it goes uh, through that uh, yeah that mindset and then afterwards second story uh, human uh, performance factors yeah. all of that because yeah, because if you think about risk management risk risk management says that you before you do your assessment process you establish your scope your context and your criteria and it's those things that create all those assumptions and it's those assumptions that can go through your risk management process but risk management also says that those assumptions have to change over time that scope has to change over time and then it says what is your model of continuous improvement to deal with that change and, and I say to people, think of a learning team as a model for doing change management. Because the moment you have assessed risk, that assessment is going to change over time. So when, when are the opportunities, when are the opportunities for that system to learn about change? and to improve the system so that it still meets those objectives. And, and that's- well, three or five years down the road, isn't it? So when you have to review risk assessments, it's already that, there, come on. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's the issue. And, and I would say to people, um, don't investigate, go back and review your assumptions. And it's okay that your assumptions were wrong because your assumptions were only right within the context of what you found at the time. So how do we, how does this change happen? And and, and in the book, um, which I know you've, you've read and you enjoyed, we talked about that that change happens in micro phases. Yeah. And, and, when, and when we go in and inquire, whether it be an event or an observation, whatever, whatever we do, we're seeing that macro change. And the problem is companies, it scares them about the micro change because 
they can't apply the same techniques they apply now to deal with little things. Yeah. So every company is going to have um, limits to its resources. You can't be everywhere every time. So one of the things that we've been exploring, Raphael, is how if we want to learn from everyday work, which is what uh, Eric Honagel is talking about, which I think is fantastic and amazing, we can't use the same constructs that we're using now. And if you think about all the stuff we're using now, they're all based on interventions. So the organization is having to intervene into something. A worker's not ringing you up and saying, Raphael, can you please organize for a leader to come down and have a chat with me? <laughs> it's, it's all based that the organization is, is, is imposing something on someone else, because that's what it's doing. So one of the things that we've been exploring is that if we want to learn from every day, then it needs to be something that is led by workers. Yes. That workers own, and it needs to be supported by the organization. Yeah. Because it needs workers, to help them, right? Yeah, because workers can see, if, if you think about it, and we use that analogy that, that Todd talks about, the iceberg analogy, you, you're seeing what's coming up above the waterline. Okay. Yet below that waterline is the mass of the iceberg. And that iceberg is basically a whole lot of weak signals. <laughs> and when you see it above the waterline, that's become a strong signal. Because you're seeing it because it's become visible to you, if that makes sense. It is. But the weak signals can't be seen by the organization because nothing you do tells you what the size of the iceberg is. Only workers know what the iceberg is because workers yeah. are part of the iceberg. So how do we get workers to basically, how do we how do we make something that's worker-led that allows workers to share their stories that tell us about how the iceberg is changing? What's its wind direction? <laughs> What's its mass? It makes sense. But, and, and, and I think this is part of that whole thing. Um, I agree with what Eric's saying, that if you want to see similarity and frequency, you have to look out to everyday work. It's not possible to see that when you look at a single event. Yeah. But how do we get how do we get that information in a way that we're not imposing or forming creating an intervention? And that's quite hard to do, right? Because workers just uh, <clears throat> usually they just want to get the job done. So how Absolutely. do you find how do you sort of sneak your way into you know everyday work? So that they do that sort of on top or together in parallel with their routine. Correct. And, and I think that's the challenge. And yeah. in the white paper, we explore a number of ways of doing it because we're saying there is no one way that works. There have to be a whole raft of ways or opportunities for that to happen. If you think about how Lean works, Lean's a good example. They use things like the SQDC boards as, as a method. They use, um, you know, a, a gimba, going to the gimba as a method. So they use lots of different methods as well, because they realize okay. that, because what they're saying is that you have to have multiple opportunities because the different work teams will work in different ways. Yeah. 
And, so, and sometimes I see that it might be something particular to the pharmaceutical industry, but I can see that uh, in any industry that has no strong lean uh, uh, or Six Sigma mindset, that they want a template, so they want a standard. And it's very hard for you to set out a goal and maybe give give out a set of tools and just use the tool you want or just use the tool that makes more sense to you. Sometimes uh, I see uh, I see that uh, the challenge with uh, leaders and uh, with teams they just they just want a sort of a prefabricated uh, type uh, solution. Even for that, yeah, yeah and, so, and, and and that's the problem because if you think about um, you know in Japan where it already came from from the work of Edward Deming. What, what Deming talked about is that we basically, rather than, rather than, because his original thing wasn't plan, do, check, and act. His original thing was plan, do, study, and apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the Japanese do very well is they have that reflective component. That that it's not just the tool. That the tool is a, is a means of gathering or collecting something. But it's that reflective component that means. And the Japanese really value that reflection. And think of that reflection as being a story or a collection of stories or that narrative. Because the the Japanese see the value in the narrative, not in what has been captured in the tool. The tool is just a way of of doing it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, You see that, uh, just hearing you say it, it's just, for me, it's just leadership, right? It's just, uh just good leadership it's not safety uh, it's not quality it's just good leadership you you go you you, you, you know you identify things or you, you use tools to see how your organization is working and you just think about it you reflect it and you see where your resources where your yeah, resources so or how your resources curious. should be used yeah. More curious, yeah. ask more <laughs> questions and if you think about it, that's what a learning team is yeah that's, that's all it is. It's about being curious. Being curious. Yeah. Um, but, but I think the power of a learning team is that those that participate in the learning team get to see those stories, that narrative, through the eyes of other people. And because they get to see it through the eyes of others, it takes them on a whole different journey. And, and that's because of the learning team, you, you get that reflective practice through the, looking at through the lens of others. And in most other systems, that opportunity does not exist. And, and, I, and I think that's that powerful component. And, and ultimately, um, one of the things that we're working on at the moment is that if we want to, if we want to support workers to um, build those critical thinking skills, those skills to reflect, then we need to improve the systems away from where workers are having to assess or evaluate the role they play in the system, to where workers start to um, critically appraise what they do. Does that make sense? So. So, so, so much of a system is asking the worker to give permission to the system. Go back to lockout tagging. Yeah, Has the padlock been fitted? Have you checked all sources of energy? Okay. So, system saying, you know, 
I, I, I'm in charge. You have to give me permission. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because so, so it makes the person, the worker, see the system as one that they're having to evaluate or assess, rather rather than critically appraise. And, and I know that's interesting because that, that's 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 about adult education. So so that's the, yeah. that's the same thing about basically saying, you know, if if, if there's an energy source present, you're going to die. Okay. Critical appraisal would be um, what types of energy sources are present with this machine when you do the job normally. How would you know that the energy source has been removed? And how do you know that the energy source will continue not to be present whilst you're in the zone? That's critical appraisal. Does that make sense? Because the person's actually... It is. Yeah. And we should go ahead and uh, after that, so what do you need to do that? So what type yeah. of tools, what type of resources do you need to comply with what you're saying? Yeah, and, and, and that's where we talk about, Todd talks about stickies, S-T-K-Y. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and we are, we, uh, part of the thing they're working on at the moment is that, you know, it's really useful for workers, to, for leaders to ask workers about stickies. Okay, it is useful. And workers are then going to share with you about the stuff that really matters to them. Yeah. But how can we extend that conversation further? How can we then get workers to reflect on the stuff that really matters by getting them to think about a situation where it was different to what they normally encountered or a situation that it was more difficult than that normally would be or a situation that didn't make sense to them. How would, how would that sticky perform in that situation? Because that's, once again, that's moving us to a critical appraisal approach. Does that make sense? Rest it it does. What's, I the to... What's the STM? That's, that's just recall. That's just saying recall. So, so one of the things that we're exploring with leaders is that if you have a conversation, both the leader needs to gain something from it and the worker needs to gain from it from as well. Yes. If the worker can't gain anything from the conversation, why would he bother having it in the future? Exactly. They're not. And same thing for the leader. If he gains something, he won't do it again. But, but I think the problem here is that leaders, they keep asking me, what would be some really good questions to ask? <laughs> you, you yeah, can't. and if you give them, they will only ask those questions. It's sort of like a checklist. Yeah, and it's no different. When people come on the podcast show, they're really nervous about what are we going to talk about? <laughs> it's okay. I can relate to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have that feeling now? As we're ending, no, not ending no, correct. No, you're good. Yeah, that's that's great because we've had a simply had a series of conversations. <laughs> we did, we did. Yeah, I wish I wish I was home because uh, I could do this over beer or wine. But <laughs> I, 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 I'm with. Well, it's a bit early here, but that's okay. <laughs> it's five o'clock here, so you can use that. Six o'clock now, so you can use that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, Raphael, is there, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners about what you see as being the future? Of, of the new view and your journey? Oh, my journey. Yeah. I, I, 
I reflect on that a lot. So I, I, I do a lot of driving to come to work and to, to go back. Um, so uh, if so, for example, in the in the manufacturing facility time I'm at now, it takes me about an hour and fifteen, an hour and a half uh, to come wow. back home. So I do. That's why I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I'm with you. So, I to the podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went uh, this uh, last uh, weekend. I drove all the way to Rio, so it's a, a five to six hour drive. So it, it's a lot of reflecting, a lot of music. Uh, so I think about the future a lot. I, I'm so, and I still haven't figured out where to go next. We are. Uh, it's been uh, a year and a half since we're in this uh, road here in, in the company I'm working now. It's a company-owned company, so there's a lot of. Um, sometimes it's quite interesting to see how you know family values just uh, is overflow to the company, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. <laughs> and that makes, uh, and you see that in uh, in things like caring for the employees and caring uh, for how they cope with uh, COVID and all of that. But you also see that in uh, sometimes just uh, employees, uh, like uh, front uh, frontline employees, being uh, being faced like they're they're children. Mm -hmm. They are not children. They are, uh, and we do that in safety as well. Yeah. So I, I could see that uh, this uh, this year and a half has been just developing a lot of the the skills. Uh, with my myself, uh, absolutely. First, that's why I do a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of uh, talking to people, you know, sharing uh, with the community here in Brazil. Uh, and then bringing my team up to speed because they've got that safety one mindset. Uh, and it was really cool to see that uh, we are now hiring uh, an analyst. Uh, she's coming on board next month. And when she came to me for the interview, she was interviewed with the coordinator who is going to manage her directly. When she came to the interview with me, she was already mentioned, oh, uh, you know, the coordinator talked to me about the new view of safety. So I went down and I searched and I, I, I watched Sydney Decker and thought, oh, that's cool. So it's, uh, we're already you know, promoting outside. So even if we don't hire someone, he's going to leave with that. So we do a lot of that and we do a lot of talking and discussing and, and, and having cases with the leaders. So I was uh, actually on a meeting before I joined here with uh, the senior leadership on the site and we were talking about playing. So I put down a case, an actual case uh, that happened here. Two people uh, violated the rule. It was a very clear rule, but it was uh, sort of easy not to violate the rule, but they still did it. No one got hurt. Uh, no one, uh, no damage to the company. Actually, they just, what they uh, achieved was that they got the job done. So mm -hmm. that, that's what you want from workers. But still, they violated a rule. So some of the people in the room were arguing that they should receive a, a verbal warning and then a written warning. And I'm like, okay, what's that going to do? What What's that going to fix? So we still, a year and a half later, we, we're still having that conversation. Yeah. So I tried to, so you asked me about the future. So I tried to look in the future, but still, you know, managing that. So I, I see for the future. A never-ending discussion, never-ending, you know, uh, uh, talking about how that is important, how we should be looking at safety and just leadership in a different way. Look, so, I agree. And, and look, it's really interesting. Um, uh, you know, rules are always fascinating. And and I was just <laughs> rereading recently um, one of the Department of Energy documents from 2012 um, from the hop from the early hop stuff. 
where where they actually stop where they have a culpability tree where, where they where they basically talk about um um it's like a series of questions that that either says that the culpability is more towards the organization oh yeah versus the culpability is more towards the worker towards the worker yeah yeah and, and, and it's really interesting because i get asked a lot by leaders about about this and, and I say to them, well, yeah, the problem that you've got is that if it was a, if it was one of your uh, uh, worst performing workers and that happened, you would lean towards that culpability thing quite hard. But if it, what if, if it was one of your best workers or the people you rely on the most and they did it, you'd be looking at a whole different perspective. And the problem with rules is that rules are binary. Um, and and what I've said to them is is look at look at for instance this culpability tree is a classic example because that culpability tree um, takes away that whole thing about whether whether they've got um, a history of it because it's it's what was it at the time is what mattered. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not promoting the culpability tree, but even in Hop, they still talked about this thing that that that, that you know was it was it an intentional act? Yeah. Was it look, I've, and I've used it. I've used the the culpability tree or something yeah. sort of like oh, that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we were having this conversation today, so it may make sense at some point. You know, uh, I'm not convinced, but it may make sense to leadership and uh, to HR, you know, to give the warning. But it still doesn't fix anything. It still doesn't oh, no, change no. the fact that they needed to do it to get the job done. So what are we going to do with that information? Absolutely. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so did we set them up for success to begin with? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's tough. So, because, uh, yeah, I, we we understand how other parts of the business want to function. That that's okay. I'd say to them that the problem with rules. Is that you want them to be hard and fast? Well, that means there's no discretion on how they're applied. Yeah, that that's yeah. Otherwise, it'll be what we call Game of Thrones safety, because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty simple. Get it wrong, yeah. here's the consequence, and life's not like that. And, and, and I think, yeah. and, and I think you, we've even seen it. And we before we went to record mode, we talked about COVID. We talked about how COVID has really talked to us more about risk resilience, mm-hmm. and 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 the fact is that you know we we all keep saying that that you know, if if people were to self isolate, would stop the spread of the virus. If people would do this and that, there's lots of things that we could do. At the end of the day, it is the layers of defences that are going to help us, not the single actions of individuals. And it's different for each of us. So I've got friends that went by, you know, two years without seeing their own parents. Yes. And I've got friends that were going out every day for partying. So wow. we can't treat people, you know, I had a, I have a friend, uh, he used to be, uh, he was one of my first uh, supervisors. He always talked about how it is very unfair to treat different people the same way. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's a, I, I was with a group recently and 
Um, this group are all very much about, you know, zero harm, you know, very focused on that. But some of them refuse to be vaccinated. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking... Oh, because you, you, it's a harm, right? You have a needle up to your arm, so you I, might get pain. I, I, I just say to them, um, statistically, statistically, we know <laughs> the effect of a virus is on a person. We've, we've got the data to support that. So I don't, I don't, you know, if you're saying zero harm at this end around physical harm, but then you're saying the opposite on this end, how, how does that, what, what happens in the mind for that to be different? So, you know, I look at the point of view that, um, uh, you know, my, my vaccination is more about um, supporting my family and supporting my, you know, my parents are in their nineties. Okay. Um, if they were to get COVID, and they're, then they're vaccinated, if they're COVID, it's still going to have a major effect on them. If that makes sense? Yes. So, but they also still need to live. <laughs> <laughs> so the best thing that we can do is try to reduce, have those barriers in place to re to reduce that, that, that from occurring. Yeah. And, and me being vaccinated is a long way of doing that, as, as well as other things, you know. Um, and, and I think everyone's journey is different. And I think we're going to look back at this in five years' time or ten years' time, and 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 look at it in a whole different light. Yeah. Because people are saying when do we go back to being normal? Um, no, it's called the new yeah. normal. There is no there is no going back. There's going to be a new. There's normal. no going back. Yeah. 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 It's and, like and when you go through a life-changing event. Absolutely. So so I think the contest is on now about mask design. You know, making good-looking masks. <laughs> well, one uh, one really interesting challenge we still have is how do you know employees who who can't listen, so deaf employees communicate because they read lips. Correct. So how do you do that with a mask? Yep. And people try to come up with you no know, masks with transparent uh, you no know, shields or things like that. It doesn't work. It gets fogged. It doesn't filter. So yeah, so it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna go, are you gonna go out with a full face mask all the time? <laughs> well, that, that's right. So, so yes, I've seen the Americans have come out with those face shields that that sit around the neck and they go up. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Look, it's it, it, well, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, and and, and that's that's interesting. You, we were talking about the future, and you asked about what what's the future of learning teams for us look like, and. Uh, you said you know ten years in the future, and even even now, like one year and a half, uh, you get new people coming in on board. So you get people coming in. Uh, for example, the HR manager just changed, and of course there's a handover, but he comes in fresh with mm -hmm. all the ide all ideas, and how do we put that person up to speed? So the discussions must never end. I think even well, in ten years' time, maybe everyone in safety is going to be talking about that, and it's not going to be the new view anymore. It's just going to be you know, the view. Well, who knows? <laughs> because it's always going to evolve. I mean, at the moment, we're we're, yeah. we're just looking at a program because um, you know, coaching and mentoring is so important. Not not just about the new view, but coaching, mentoring is important regardless. Regardless. Yeah. So so we've just been creating the the framing for what we call the Learning Teams Academy. And, and what we're just in exploring, and we've got our first uh, cohort or group of people that we're working with, and we're gonna be using a learning team to do this, of course. Um, we're looking at 
how to do coaching and mentoring within a within a peer within a peer group rather than one on one. Because otherwise, how can we fulfill what a learning team's about, which is about group learning? And, and it's going to be a really interesting um, process to to look at. So so we we haven't made any decisions. What we've said is what 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 we want is we want a group of people, and we want to see how working in a in a group through coaching and mentoring can help evolve that, and we'll use a learning team to do that. And it is going to be interesting because if we can if we can show people that framework, then that's exactly what you're asking to do. It's, it tries to help others and build and build others in, in that in that way. Um, so and it's about how to help people grow on their journey, and that all of us will take have different paths in our journey. We'll take different times, and, and we'll grasp things in different ways. And there's no one way to fix it. So so. So, so think of this as a, as a as a as a learning team for mentoring. It's probably that. <laughs> and I guess that's one of the basic ways people learn, right? They learn from others. That's how we learn to learn. We learn from our parents, from our friends. Uh, just creating community just uh, sets a whole different level and yeah. speeds things up so quickly. But so much coaching and mentoring has been one on one. Yeah. Th therefore, so if we were to say safety one versus safety two. We're saying coaching one versus coaching two. <laughs> so, so we're saying there's got to be a better way. There has to be a better way that helps yeah. people in, in, in that. Um, so that, that's what we're trying to explore at the moment. And and whatever we find, you know, our commitment, Raphael, back to communities, whatever we find, we'll publish and share. Good. Um, because look ultimately, that. That, that, that's because because people cause just think of it. It's about what what were our learnings from it. Whereas I still think a lot of what's happening, what I'm seeing in the market, as as things become productized and commoditized <laughs> and sold as packages, it comes down to my package is better than your package, and, and everyone starts to argue. Um, our, our thing here is to basically saying, um, if, if we if we want the new view to be embedded long term, we have to take a different approach. Whatever approach we take, we should simply share that with others so that they can see it. If people value what we do, that's fine. They can talk to us about something on a commercial basis. But we want to take that leap of faith. And, and that's a thing that with Todd has always been, you know, very important to me. He, he's already he's always said that you've got to you've got to do something for community. If we want to grow community, we have to help feed the community at, at, at the same time. Right. And I see a lot of that, yeah. Yeah, it's, well, uh, you guys are doing a great even, job. Even in Brazil, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's amazing how people are sharing their experiences. They're putting up uh, events. Uh, Ubo is doing that YouTube channel, which is amazing. Everyone should watch it. Yeah. No, look, my, and my, my hat's off to Hugo and, and all the team there. And once again, um, you know, the, the, the work they did to translate our book into Portuguese was, was fantastic. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. 
go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com, support the authors of the practice of learning teams, purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.